Flint, Michigan was a boom town in the 1920s. America had just emerged from World War I. The Flint economy began to experience an amazing growth spurt. The boom was directly connected to the manufacturing of automobiles. The city of Flint was the destination for many immigrants, both foreign and domestic. There was a housing shortage there because of the new workers who had been moving to Flint to work in its manufacturing businesses. Flint's economy in the 1920s was very fertile ground to nativism and white nationalism. That was a marked reversal of its path in the, 19, in the 1860s because Flint had provided thousands of its men to fight for the Union in the, in the war between the states. That is, the state of Michigan was the largest contributor to troops in the Union Army of any state. Of course, that war was ostensibly for equality, freedom, and to end the barbaric practice of slavery. By 1921, Kersley Park on Flint's east side was host to several Ku Klux Klan rallies and parades. The Ku Klux Klan activities were in the open and were a family affair, complete with children rides and entertainment. They also were known for charitable works. The Ku Klux Klan claverns, as they formed, began in approximately 1920, according to news reports and historians. A clavern is a lodge or a regional grouping of Ku Klux Klan members. The Southern Poverty Law Center keeps tabs on skinheads, anti-Semitic groups, white nationalists, Ku Klux Klan, and other hate groups. The Southern Poverty Law Center has documented numerous activities of hate groups in the mid-Michigan area and Flint specifically. It is estimated that between 1915 and 1940, there were three active claverns in the Flint area. That is an alarming number considering Flint compared to Detroit is a much larger is and Detroit is a much larger city. Flint ranked right up there historically uh, as a home for the Ku Klux Klan. Judson Lincoln Transu was supported by the Ku Klux Klan. The Klan at the time mounted a recall of Transu's predecessor, Mayor David Cuthbertson, for his appointment of a Catholic police chief, James P. Cole. Despite all the efforts of the Ku Klux Klan, the new mayor, Transu, kept Cole on as the police chief. In the 1920s, that may have been the zenith of Ku Klux Klan activity in Flint and in Michigan, according to Macomb County College professor Michael Placco. He's an expert on the history of the Ku Klux Klan and hate groups in Michigan. In an interview with the Metro Times in 2019, Michael Placco told the Detroit Metro Times the following about the Ku Klux Klan in Michigan. Indiana takes the cake with the biggest membership and the most dues-paying members. But Michigan and a lot of other states in the Midwest were the clans of the 20s that took root in Michigan was not like the Klan down south after the Civil War. Some called this the second emergence of the Ku Klux Klan in America. 
America had just been through a lot. A prominent development in the 1920s was vigilante fascism. These groups in Michigan were very violent. They engaged in deadly attacks on the others, namely blacks, Jews, Catholics, labor union organizers, and immigrants. The Black Legion made a home in Michigan in the 1920s, primarily based in Detroit. This gang was a splinter group of the Ku Klux Klan and far more extreme, if that can be imagined. Interestingly, the Black Legion, according to historians and author Tom Stanton, had direct links to the auto pioneer Henry Ford's thuggish goon, Henry Barrett. Barrett was the security chief for Henry Ford. He earned his fame and reputation brutally attacking union activists and union supporters for trying to organize the Ford Motor Company. Henry Ford had a plethora of well-documented racist beliefs and he often acted on them. The Black Legion is a group historians have largely overlooked. It was a Depression-era hate group founded in Ohio in the early 1900s. The Black Legion splintered off from the Ku Klux Klan only to find a place to thrive in Michigan. It was violent and ruthless. It also was a group that had a documented history of killing black people, Jews, and other minorities. The Black Legion found comfort as a union-busting gang. It punished labor union organizers and sympathizers. They were, after all, operating as a secret society, exactly like the Ku Klux Klan. Think the Ku Klux Klan without guardrails. The Ku Klux Klan did not miraculously disappear after World War II. In its modern history, there is much activity to note. In 1967, the Detroit News published photos of a Flint Ku Klux Klan parade in downtown Flint. It is shocking today to reflect back on that time. They convinced a local judge to serve as the photographer. The local police were notified of this meeting and were down the block. As the Flint police and the FBI watched media reports of this unusual gathering, they became interested as well. The Flint police, the FBI, as well as the Genesee County Prosecutor's Office, which I headed, sized up this group. The police ran the Ku Klux Klan leader's history and discovered that he was a convicted felon. A search warrant was issued, and the police paid a visit with a tactical raid team. They found numerous guns and ammunition. They also found the Klan's flag that was used for their photo op. The police captured not only the guns, but also the flag of the Ku Klux Klan to be used as evidence later. A search warrant was prepared and approved, and a visit was made by the police and the raid team. Acquired in the search of the house were several handguns. Long guns was an important psychological weapon. Felons are not supposed to have or possess firearms, in case you're wondering. In some cases, the federal penalties are very harsh. And in federal court, a defendant can get up to 10 years mandatory prison sentence. Often, the local law enforcement would send cases to the federal government of those who were repeat criminals with a history of engaging in violent 
violent gang activities. We referred this particular case to the FBI and the U.S. attorney, who then prosecuted the case and sent the man to prison. Most of this story was never fully told to the public. It still makes me smile to this day. Flint, Michigan was a target-rich environment for gang enforcement efforts. All this prompted my interest in tattoos and graffiti. This is where you can observe the special language of these hate groups. It's like Morse code. You know, the kind of tapping like you saw in the old movies. We had people in the community who spent time decoding this graffiti grapevine. To be successful, it was important to spend time listening and learning what this scribble on buildings was communicating. It was through working with community members that I was able to understand that this is part of the national culture. It is scary to those who have no idea what it means. It is even more scary once you learn exactly what it proclaims. Often, it's a threat of murder. In many cases, monitoring graffiti results in tips for plans for violence and gang struggles for territory. Tattoos can be part of the uniform of a gangbanger or a white nationalist or even an extremist. In some cases, they tell the story of their lives in ink. Stories on the arm, open for anyone to see, are symbols of gang activity and even deaths. They wear these symbols for life and with pride. The Michigan Department of Corrections takes these tattoos so seriously uh, that they have an intelligent unit at Michigan prisons to monitor these hate groups and record tattoos to determine any gang or group affiliations. In the 1990s, there were various groups during my tenure as Genesee County Prosecuting Attorney that I monitored by using experts and informants who could interpret graffiti. One such group was the Satanic Nazi Warriors. This group had vandalized the old Winchester Hospital located in Flint Township. The Warriors left behind a diary of graffiti on the walls depicting the killings of black men and women, Namakon. At this gathering spot also was observed young men in military-style uniforms. Eventually, the police got interested in the photos and other documentation of my informants. The photos, of course, were of the graffiti. Turns out that some of the graffiti announced in advance all over town on bridges and buildings the impending bust of another white nationalist group the Iron Cross operating in Clio, Michigan, which is just a suburb north of the city of Flint. In my experience in criminal law of over 40 years, the federal government takes its best aim at these domestic terror organizations using federal firearm statutes. Although the feds have domestic terrorism laws, racketeering statutes, and other tools which many local prosecutors don't have the resources to use or have the laws specifically to use in conducting some of these investigations. The local police, of course, depend on the FBI to look into seditious and violent extremist groups. The FBI rarely brings to public attention uh, these gunslingers. And In a rare public statement during the 2020 election season, Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, made it known that it was these white nationalists that posed the biggest threat of terrorism to America's domestic tranquility. During my many years as prosecuting attorney in Michigan, 
I developed a keen eye on anything that looked like white nationalist groups in the Flint area. The first reaction of many police and prosecutors is that these people are not brave or smart enough to carry out their delusions and fantasies. That would be a big mistake. They are all potentially dangerous, and there cannot be enough intelligence on these groups to guarantee the safety of the American people. As referenced previously here, the Southern Poverty Law Center and its founder, the famed civil rights attorney Morris Dees, was my best national clearinghouse for tracking hate groups and white nationalists. They have provided monthly communications to prosecutors and police about activities of racist hate groups, malicious survivalists, and white nationalist gangs. In a place like Flint, Michigan, there is a large African-American population who are occasionally the targets of these hate groups, especially in the suburbs of Genesee County. Granted, not all hillbillies in Flint, Michigan are skinhead nationalists nor Ku Klux Klan members. Acts of violence against black people by white nationalists is not uncommon in the Flint area. In the Flint area, that includes suburban communities like Flint Township, Grand Blank Township, the city of Burton. These communities have seen an increase in the integration uh, of their housing by minorities, all of which were formerly Lily White communities. Just do a simple Google search of Flint or Genesee County and racism, white nationalists, Ku Klux Klan, and you'll see that even within the last year, two or three, you'll see various attacks, uh, vandalism, efforts at intimidation by some of these hate groups. In Flint, Michigan, African-American families, in efforts to better themselves, encountered cross burnings on the lawns of homes of black families. The Flint area has seen assaults and graffiti tagging with racially threatening hate messages. A group of about seven uh, young white kids from Flushing, Michigan, tagged Flushing Park with an idea that they would specifically target in on a place where a black family was having a family reunion. In fact, the first home I purchased in Flint Township, Michigan, was a documentation of such violence. Public parks such as Flushing Park, all calculated to intimidate black people. In one instance, uh, a, this Flint Township is a bedroom community of Flint. It was the fastest growing part of the Flint area in the 1970s and 1980s. My new home in Hunters Ridge subdivision, a typical suburban neighborhood with tri-level homes with attached garages and manicured lawns. I purchased the foreclosed home from the local bank. The previous owners were African-American. I learned not long after they moved into the township, the house was attacked and firebombed. He and his family were the first blacks to integrate Flint Township and Hunters Ridge Subdivision. Welcome to the suburbs of an American city. Also during my years as Genesee County Prosecutor, that is from 1993 to 2005, the office prosecuted numerous individuals for ethnic intimidation, assault, and malicious destruction of property arising out of offenses motivated racial hatred. Our focus and target was gangs of all variety, including motorcycle gangs, street gangs, and even groups claiming to be the Michigan Ku Klux Klan. By Over the years, the Ku Klux Klan and white nationalist Michigan militia have indeed been active in the Flint area. 
I found myself repeatedly serve legal papers from the Michigan militia. You know, those are the same guys that showed up at the, the Michigan Capitol recently armed to protest Governor Whitmer's lockdown of the state. They're also the same type of group. The Michigan militia and its offshoots on me. It was goofy stuff and seemed to me like a delusion gone wild. The complainants were supposedly from courts. The complaints were supposedly something that they created out of their own court system. These militia folks loved to gather local sheriffs whenever they could find one crazy enough to lend them an ear. I remember the Lapeer County Sheriff in the county adjacent to Genesee County would meet with the militia. Nothing came of it as far as I know. However, reading about Michigan sheriffs today who lend a hand to groups like the Proud Boys, a right-wing violent extremist group, it struck me that these hate groups love to operate in rural areas of Michigan where the hate is strong toward anyone who is not white and Protestant like them. The office of sheriff seems to attract populace in Michigan. Unless the sheriff is from a town with a racially diverse or college-educated voter base, you can rest assured that sheriff is vulnerable to the whims of populism and many to the racist militia groups that have brought so much disgrace to the state of Michigan. I know for a fact that I wasn't the only law enforcement officer wary of the militias. They had guns and they were crazy folks. They had the potential to get to drinking too much bush beer and go on a rampage. Motorcycle gangs, which also many held nativistic uh, beliefs, racist beliefs, simply became more and more interested in selling drugs and raising hell. To finish up our segment, I want to share with you an interview that I previously had recorded with Ryan Lurie, who was at one time a member of a Flint skinhead group that was called the Rolling Rollingwood Skins, which was an east side of Flint, Michigan uh, group that was associated with the National Socialist Movement, which was a neo-Nazi a white nationalist group. He explains his group, how he got involved in it, and some of their activities to, to sort of give you a flavor of what we have covered earlier today uh, and, and how it actually takes place in the streets of the city of Flint and in the state of Michigan. So here we go, Ryan Lurie. So with the hate group, the hate group, we never actually took it to back to the bricks. That was the Crim Festival that we took that to. That was when I was with the hate group. Uh, uh, back to the bricks is in my later years when I actually organized against hate. So it was a completely different side of my life then. Okay, well, then let's talk about what you did first when you were for it before you were against it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we went to the Crim Festival of races, not uh, back to bricks. And when we went to the Crim, we did that because... Like I said, we wanted to go more mainstream. Most of the groups like National Socialist Movement, people that you saw getting media attention and any type of media attention, whether it's negative or positive, was attention focused on the group. Right. So you were actually trying to get attention at that point. Yes. Most of the time you spent trying not to get attention, right? 
right by this time we had had a decent amount of members we had about 50 different guys um that were in and out most of the time we felt like that was a good enough number now and we had already connected with national socialist movement um and felt like we in, in another group the Hammerskins out of canada that we felt like we had a substantial system set up for us to start kind of uh, going to the media we have this uh road race uh, running uh activity that's one of the largest events of its kind in the country yeah it's people from all over the world and so you decide you're going to do some kind of an action for this road race yep so we were we brought about 15 different guys down to the event and we were passing out flyers um now eventually what did the flyers say there was a lot of rhetoric about um why you should protect the white race uh, we had the 14 words of the white man that was on there, which are um, words that were created to, uh, you know, about protecting, you know, white culture. Um, we had the words or the numbers 1488 on there, which the 14 stands for the 14 words of the white man. 88 was the uh, eighth letter of the alphabet twice, HH for Hail Hitler. Um, and then just some stuff on there, how they could join, how to find our uh, MySpace page actually at the time and 4chan um, to, to kind of hook up with us on a Discord server. So what did you do at the at the event itself? You were just passing things out? Yeah, we were passing flyers out. Um, every time we went up to somebody, mm -hmm. said, you know, basically protect your white race, uh, white, white, white culture is under attack. Basically launching off some Zionist conspiracy theories that um, the Jewish people were going to take over the United States if we didn't do something about it. At that time, immigration was still a huge hot topic or it just started to become a real hot topic. And so we use that too, that, you know, immigrants were taking our jobs away from us and that you needed to do something now to act now. Um, we did have the police actually stop us. Um, eventually they had to, to let us go back out again. Um, and they called the prosecutor's office and the prosecutors actually told them that they had to let us go and do what we were doing. We, if we weren't committing violence and all we were doing is passing out flyers that they, they couldn't do anything. And I knew a lot about my constitutional rights at the time. So we definitely started spitting out a bunch of constitutional so growing up in Rollingwood I, and on the east side period, I was all over Flint. So I always, I mean, during the 90s and you, know, you were a prosecutor at that time, there was gang activity everywhere um, in the city of Flint, especially in Rollingwood where I grew up. Uh, we had a, the Cobras and some Vice Lords and Bloods that uh, really had a stronghold in the, the area that I was from there. And so I saw some drive-by shootings. Um, I, it wasn't uncommon to see guys committing crimes that were involved with gang activity. Me and myself personally, I was never actually part of a gang, but definitely had friends and people that were affiliated. And so there was a lot of white kids that, you know, they would say racial things. There were definitely some racist uh, tension there, um, but never any type of gangs early on in my life that were. You said that you, you, you told me earlier in our conversation that you had an uncle that was involved. You said earlier your great grandfather had been involved in the Ku Klux Klan, but you had a more immediate relative when you got out of the army. So my uncle actually had just got out of prison and um, I had a huge falling out with two of my friends, two black men. Yes, he was. So when he came out of prison, he had joined the Aryan Brotherhood while he was in prison. And um, because of that, he met quite a few guys. It's a, it's a, it's a white nationalist group. Um, most of what we find in America, they're really established themselves in prison. So a lot of the radicalization that they do is in prison itself. Um, and they're a white group that believes in not doing drugs, uh, no alcohol and, uh, protecting the, what the, do you start getting into it because of him or was, what, what was it he was teaching you? 
he took me and actually, uh, so I'd gotten to the fight with my friends I had told you about, and I was very angry. And I was angry at the world at the time because I couldn't find a job. And I probably should have been more angry at myself and getting my life together, but I was taking it out on everybody else. Um, I actually was introduced to a man named Ron Chadwell um, that my uncle had actually knew um, previous to actually going to prison. Um, and then uh, a couple of the guys that he was in prison with that were hanging out with Ron at the time. Uh, with the Buick City Boot Boys, who was a skinhead organization in the city of Flint at that time before I had actually even started hanging out with them. Um, he took me to introduce me to Ron. Ron was a very charismatic type of, uh, I call him a cult leader. Um, he wasn't your typical what I would expect to see when you see this guy. I was, you know, my uncle Timmy is taking me to introduce me to these guys that are skinheads, and I'm thinking I'm going to see this shaved head, big, huge, bulky guy with tattoos. Um, but it was actually a complete opposite. He's a very small little guy missing a finger um, and just talked real, real low. Um, but all he ever talked about was hate rhetoric. And so he pushed it down everybody's throats as much as possible. And, and so this Buick City Boot Boys, that's a local group of some kind? Of yeah, they were a skinhead group. They, had a, they were on the east side off of uh, Oklahoma. They had a swastika burnt into their front yard um they had different several different flags hanging up in the backyard one of the cases that really put them i guess what they considered on the map was where a jewish man was actually stabbed to death and then drowned in the flint river um, by two of the members i guess they said that he was a jewish infiltrator he tried to infiltrate the group they found out um and so when that happened they were the people who did the murder caught Yes, they both are serving life sentences. They were brothers, actually. Both are brothers. So were they part of this Buick City group? Yeah, they were the it was part of the Buick City Boot Boys. Ron Chadwell was the president at the time. Um, did they hold regular meetings? Yeah, you know, in the beginning it was really unorganized. It was more of a Ron had a keg over at the house all the time, and there was parties, young people that he would try to bring around. And it wasn't until I actually came in and started to try to organize it more like the military would. And um, we sat down and had some conversations with some people through the National Socialist Movement, who's like the largest uh, Nazi organization, they say, in the, in the United States. So you, um, you, because you had been in the military mm -hmm. and you had learned certain things about discipline and order and organization, you then were able to apply that were they talking, did they have arms? Did they have, you know, were they collecting guns or weapons? Yeah, actually, one of the first times that I was introduced to these guys, I came to the gate right. um, and there was a guy actually with a pistol, um, a firearm on him at the time. And they were doing tattoos in the garage. I seen the pistol on his arm or on his side. And I almost got the, uh, you know, the fight or flight. Like, I don't know if I should be here, um, but I went ahead and went with it anyways. They, they, they did have multiple different firearms. Most of them was, you know, stuff that each person owned individually. But uh, Ron did have a decent sized stockpile at his house. So. Okay. Uh, everything we did was mostly about trying to just mainstream hate at the time and, and connecting with groups uh, around the world and trying to, like, I guess, more globalize what we were doing um, instead of just being some small group from the east side of Florida. So you were trying to connect your group to outside organizations that peddled hate. Yeah, and we eventually did. I mean, no, so my, was there violence? Yes, there was violence. These guys would go out sometimes um, in, you know, their vehicles and have their flags flying on the side and throw rocks and two liters and whatever they could out the windows. Right, exactly. The, the old ways of a lot of skinheads were street fighters go out and just destroy stuff and, um, you know, kill people. 
kill people violence yes exactly and uh, the worst of the worst um but ron's plan when i came in was to create more order and um kind of spread the the message of trying to bring in leadership and, and membership and then we met with uh, several different organizations, uh, one being the main focus who organized the National Socialist Movement up in Cadillac, Michigan at one of their parks there. Did, did you participate in their rallies nationally in the other cities? Um, Detroit um, on a couple of occasions. Um, they've had some rallies there. I never traveled to you know Minnesota. I couldn't afford to, would your to leave. Group, would your group go to Detroit to participate? Yes, yes, we went uh, on. So what I'm asking is the kids from Flint would go down there, men. Uh, yep. down and participate with other people from around other cities. Yes, yes. Detroit had a really, really big stronghold for skinhead groups. Um, several, there's about three different groups that were there at the time and still to this day, uh, National Socialist Movement, their headquarters, they actually moved to Detroit. Place on, on the east side when they were having a meeting or whatever, and they were in the garage giving tattoos to each other? Yeah, so the, what's weird is they used to have the Cobras actually from the east side, a bunch of those guys would actually come in and do the tattoo work for a bunch of skinheads. But the idea of the tattoo to, to make something that related back to your group or was it just, you know? We, we eventually did. We came up with the tattoo that was uh, had a swastika that had points um, on the swastikas. Actually, the Flint Journal, when they did the story on me, took a picture of the tattoo and that was what was on the front page of the journal at the time. People that were in your group at that time would get a, a distinctive tattoo that was an insignia for your group. Yep, yep. If you had points on the swastika, there was a points on either end. That means you had some form of leadership. Um, if you didn't, it was just the, the swastika. But how many um, groups in the Flint area that are, are what I would call white nationalist or hate groups? So we always know that there's a KKK somewhat organized here. I don't know how organized and we don't know a lot. They're really secretive when it comes to a lot of the stuff they do. But the main organization that we've been paying a lot of attention to recently, we've noticed a lot of uh, graffiti um, and things popping up is the, the Folk Nation, I believe is how they say it. It's, it's a new group, um, at least for our area. It's a newer group. Uh, SPLC is how I found out um, who this group's symbols were because we were seeing the symbols in Flint of a uh, type of a uh, trident pitchfork almost in a way like you would think like folks up or some old gang. But then there was the word, the numbers 1488 next to it. And everybody knows that's hate rhetoric. Things have changed a lot from the time when I was part of a hate group to where they are now and way social media works and the way that interaction works between these groups. And it's obviously a lot easier for them to interact now um, than it used to be. And then with this, um, we hosted that event because there was a Burton family that was actually attacked, um, a, a black family. Their house was there. They worked for General Motors, UAW members. Um, and there was a lot of attention being brought to what was going on there. But People didn't feel like there was a big enough police investigation into trying to figure out who the uh, it was a racially, a racially motivated attack on the black family. Yes, yes, they uh, threw a Molotov cocktail bomb at their garage, um, and uh, just uh, doing different things at night to really just cause chaos. For so you did fear. rallies in Flint and other places. Yeah, I did rallies in Flint. Um, I went down and helped uh, do counter rallies in um, Charlottesville. I also went out to Standing Rock um, during the water crisis. So I was in a lot of water crisis. So with, with what was going on in Flint and being involved in the politics there, um, decided to start kind of getting involved in some of my research was taking me towards how um, environmental impacts have a link to extremism um, in itself. And so. And so the, a, lot of, a lot of these people get involved in this activity 
And then when, you know, the lights are on or the microphone's going, they all are, you know, for peace and love. Mm-hmm. How do you Even respond the pro- to that now? I mean, is that something somebody has a right to be suspicious about you and your past? Oh, you always have a right to be suspicious about anybody. And I always tell everybody, do your research before, you know, you make a decision, a decision to judge. Um, you see that with a lot of organizations today that say that they're not a racist organization or they have no attachments to white nationalism, but they actually do when you follow the money. Um, Proud Boys, for instance, um, one of the reasons why I say not necessarily white nationalism, but they're definitely an accelerationist group. Um, they want the all-out destruction and fall. They're really anti-government rhetoric. Um, but the KKK, I mean, come on, you can sit there and they can declare that they're not about violence, but that's all they've ever perpetrated in this country since the twenties and on, um, our violence and fear is what they use to promote their membership and, uh, try to take power, you know, in several different areas. Also the Oath Keepers, who is a new organization that, um, they've been around for some time and three percenters, but we're finding that they actually have a lot of different police involvement, a lot of members that are actually, uh, police officers that are members of the Oath Keepers. Thank you.